This is episode three out of four for the podcast, four out of four. Four out of four is a podcast about sexual assault and harassment on college campuses. After episode one, I determined the three biggest categories that we can classify sexual assault and harassment in. The first one we discussed in episode two, and that's as I like to call, strange danger, or the instances where a stranger approaches you and circumstances make it difficult for you to leave. This episode, we are talking about party culture, which, when it comes to college, is almost the same thing. Before we begin, I think it's important to point out that the biggest issue I see is a general lack of knowledge amongst students on the exact definitions of consent or circumstances where it is clearly given. For example, does catcalling count? Is the time your close friend kissed you because they were blacked out count? What about the time you really didn't want to have sex, but your significant other convinced you to? What about when alcohol is involved? This episode, I talked to Mike Hunt and a new guest, Michael Scarn, about these issues. Let's get started. Hello! So last time, if you can't remember or if you just didn't listen, which, other than the professors who have to listen to this, I really don't know if there's anybody that would just listen to this for fun. So I came up with three major areas where sexual assault and harassment happen. So the first is party culture, which we're going to dive into today. Relationships and then those random instances where strangers just think it's cool to completely throw you off your game because they have to impose their beliefs and fucked up need for power on an innocent stranger. But I digress. We talked about that last time. So... (laughs) So this time, I'm here with your usual Mike Hunt. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Oh, my God. And then um, we have a new guest today named Michael Scarn to talk about party culture. Yes, it's great to be here. So if you can hear from Michael Scarn's voice, <laughs> not our usual <laughs> gender that's on this podcast. Um, I did this because, A, Michael Scarn is in a fraternity. I feel like that would just be a little bit, like, mm-hmm. just to be objective. It would be nice to have a guy here. And then also to be objective <laughs> to have just a guy here. So welcome, Michael Scarn. Yeah, yeah. It, it is truly a pleasure to be here. I am pumped about this. You know I've been excited for a while. It is my dream to be on a podcast, so. We're making dreams come this true This is here, a dream people. come true. <laughs> it's not just depressing. Okay, just a reminder, this is a, flea f- wow, this is a free-flowing conversation amongst friends. So I'm sorry if things get sporadic or weird. <laughs> We're like, th- what is it, like three weeks away from graduating? They will get weird today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our last brain cells are very confused. <laughs> okay, so let's let's just start. Um, so party culture. What is party culture? For sure is a like, common trope that's in media. Like students are characterized as crazy party goers. It's kind of like blackout or die. <laughs> Or just, like, the goal anytime you go out with friends is, like, to get as drunk as possible. But also, another part of that is bring someone home. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, like, various levels of masculinity and femininity that, like, we could talk about. Like, you know, I think for girls normally it's just, like, I want to meet this nice boy at a frosh and, like, oh, we call, <laughs> I don't know if this is common, but here in Nebraska we call our frat parties froshes. Right. Yeah. It, so. It is Basically means freshmen and sophomores. Oh. Yeah. That Sophie, makes sense. we are seniors. You should know this uh-huh. by now. 
I want to go to our fro- one final frosh. I know, frosh. we need one final frosh. Okay, once again, we're digressing. <laughs> and, like, so, yeah, girls are, you know, girls are just trying to meet, like, a nice, cute boy, and then guys, like, almost, I feel like then it's not, like, normal, but, like, the expectation is you're going to bring someone home and sleep with them. Uh-huh. Do, you, uh, do you think that's common? Yeah, and I think it's, like, important to paint the picture here. Like, these are dirty houses with dark <laughs> basements, and it is really hot in there and way too many people compacted into like a 20 by 40 basement yeah there's there's so many times like our freshman and sophomore years like we'd walk into a frosh house get hit in the face <laughs> with the heat and then just like immediately oh, you around. just start sweating uh-huh. profusely and yeah it's a good time though uh, debatable <laughs> but but yeah i would say that that is common going back to your last Question. Yeah, that's pretty much what you're introduced to right away uh, when you come into certainly like the Greek system here at Nebraska. Like that was pretty much like the first day you arrive, you're introduced to that culture. So, yeah, sleep with bitches. Okay, and I think on the girls' side, that's a fair assessment too because I am an example. I'm raising my hand right now, but obviously, I guess people listening to this can't see that. So, <laughs> okay, and um. So, like, why is party culture a thing? I mean, like, like why do we sleep? Like, why do, why do we sleep? Why do we drink <laughs> <laughs> such copious amounts? I honestly think it's just... it's fun. Yeah, I think it's just, like, it's the first time you're out of your parents' house. Like, you have the freedom to do whatever the fuck you want. And also, that's what everybody else is doing. You feel like kind of a loser if you don't. And, like, yes, you can get all high and mighty and be like, you're not a loser just for not... But, like... <laughs> I don't know. Peer pressure is a real thing, and like I think, I think just being like, okay, well, don't drink, or like, okay, don't sleep with that guy. That's mm-hmm. not fair because you do feel this pressure by society to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, especially like freshman sophomore year, because that's what everyone is doing. So if you're if you don't want to go out and drink with people, then you're kind of staying home by yourself because yeah. the right. majority of the people that you're gonna that are around freshman sophomore year, that's what they want to do. Right. Go frosh Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I actually, like, really struggled with that freshman year, I'd say, just because I came in and I didn't know anybody. And all of a sudden, you're surrounded by these 32 guys, and you're like, okay, these are your friends now. <laughs> like, you know, like, these are your friends. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know, you know, you don't know any of them. And all of a sudden, your friends, your new friends, are all told that they're going out to this house tonight. And so, you know, I was on the fence about it when I first came to college, and I think... It, it felt like the decision was almost predestined for me as soon as I, like, was introduced to these guys. And I think that in itself, you know, it took me a long time to be able to go against the grain with those guys. It, like, specifically, it took me a year and a half to really break free from that. And so, like, you know, I see it all the time with new guys coming into the house that there's this expectation to be something, and it's intertwined between these 30 guys and the person who doesn't meet that is immediately, you know, talked to less or talked down upon or not listened to. And I think it's a really sad cycle that I've seen. And I was definitely, like, felt pressure with that my freshman year. Yeah, and, like, my my freshman year, so full disclosure, I am in a sorority. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. But I didn't join my sorority until my sophomore year. So my freshman year, I came here and... I was plebe. I was a nobody. And just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't a nobody, but like I, you know, I wasn't in the Greek system. But 
even in our residence hall, like there was this expectation to go out and like I was in, I lived in Nyhart, which is where, um, it's like our honors dorm. So like typically, like stereotypically, <laughs> the people that live there are like the nerds, like the people that don't really go out, the people that are really religious. And even in that environment, we're like... All the cool people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much. All the rock stars of college. Um, hey, Nyhart is how I met you, so yeah, it's all good. For better or for worse. Yeah, uh, for worse. <laughs> um. But yeah, even in that environment, like where I'm like totally expected to not, I still felt like if I was in on a Friday night, I was like, man, I'm a, I'm a loser. Yeah. And then like movies definitely make it a ritual or like a rite of passage. <laughs> Animal House, which like I don't even, I've never seen it. I don't know if anybody our age has seen it. No, I haven't no. seen it. <laughs> That's something that like old dudes yeah. would be like, oh, it's like Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're like a 50-year-old man listening to this... <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Um, and then, like, more thi- like things that I actually know. So, like, Pitch Perfect, 22 Jump Street, Neighbors 1 and 2, House Money, Sydney mm-hmm. White, um, the TV show Blue Mountain State. Like, all of these, mm-hmm. the trope is there and very prevalent and a big plot point. Like glorified. Yeah. Right. A lot of colleges, I think, try to downplay how much their students drink. But the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcohol say that from a national survey, 60% of college students drink and two out of three binge drink or did binge drink in the past month from when they took the survey. So they define binge drinking as bringing your blood alcohol concentration to levels to 0.08. Oh, I did that last night. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I didn't. (laughs) Um, so this typically occurs after four drinks for women and five drinks for men in about two hours. Uh, that is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that is truly nothing. Um, so then they talk about, like, the death rate. So about 1,825 college students between the ages of 18 and 24 die from alcohol-related unintentional injuries. So, like, car crashes. And then this is crazy. So 696 thousand students between the ages of 18 and 24 assaulted by another student's been drinking hmm. and then 97,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 report experiencing alcohol related sexual assault sexual assault or date rape so that's fucked up and uh where does this happen so i didn't really know this until i entered college and i think for people who are on different campuses from unl the distinction isn't very clear So there's things called wet campuses and dry campuses. So a wet campus essentially means, like, if you are of age, you are allowed to drink on the campus property if you're 21. Obviously, like, underage drinking is never condoned, but it definitely happens. So as we talked about before, Mike went to another university before she came here. And I didn't, I, like, really didn't realize this until we visited her campus uh, for spring break. But, like... Her residence hall is on one street, and literally across the street is a bar. Yeah, I was 10 feet away from what is known as the Hawk. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. Mm -hmm. It's got an interesting reputation, but I... It's weird. Don't go. (laughs) It was about 10 feet away. Yeah, and, like, she... And that was was a scholarship hall. Yeah, she's also in a nerdy hall, so it's, like... Okay. (laughs) Um, And then, like, within the fraternity or sorority houses, drinking is allowed. And then, of course, like, the off-campus events. 
So then there's also dry campuses. So dry campuses are the opposite. Even if you're 21, on like under no circumstances are you allowed to drink alcohol on campus. For example, here at UNL, we have this huge football stadium. It's called Memorial Stadium if you're a Huskers fan. Over 90,000 people, like it sells out every single time. And although they could make a shit ton of money selling alcohol, they don't because we're a dry campus. You can get like specific passes, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get into that. In both of these circumstances, one thing is common, the off-campus trend. So with UNL, because we're not allowed to drink on campus, like fraternities, they do, members do drink in their houses and sororities too, of course, but mm-hmm. they can't like have a full on party. There's the, You can't have people streaming in and out because like, our campus police will know and then they'll like get you in trouble and that kind of thing. So all these, all these parties happen off campus, which is kind of an issue that we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. So as we're talking about this, I think the fraternity thing is important to keep in mind. And I hate using this example because I'm sure, like, I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm going to use it anyways. So Brock Turner, the infamous piece of shit of America. (laughs) So he raped this girl, and he met her at a Kappa Alpha fraternity party. And his big defense was, it wasn't me, it's party culture, like... I, uh, I, like, just got so drunk, and that's just how... I, I don't actually know what he said, that, but, that like... That was a great Brock Turner voice. <laughs> great but impression. He, he essentially was blaming, like, the overall culture of high alcohol consumption on his actions. And then his friend Leslie Rasmussen said she defended him and also blamed alcohol consumption and universities for advertising themselves as party schools. <laughs> What? Um, <laughs> university advertises itself as a party school. I really don't know. You can come here to get an education, but more importantly... Come here to rage! <laughs> blackout, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've seen ads like that everywhere. <laughs> it's like on the back of the brochure. They give you the like, very small print. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Um, and then this former former Oakwood judge, Margaret M. Quinn who was a Turner family friend and retired federal prosecutor. Oh, screw her. Seems legit. Yeah, Yeah. said she also blamed the assault on alcohol, minimizing his culpability. So she said he made a mistake in drinking excessively to the point where he cannot fully appreciate that his female acquaintance was so intoxicated. I know Brock did not go to that party intending to hurt or entice anyone. Hmm. Which, like, boo. (laughs) It doesn't matter if his if he wasn't going into that party intending to do that. That yeah. doesn't have anything to do with it. And then I was reading all these articles of like people like his girlfriend, for example, was like, he never forced me to have sex. But then Lady, I, you're dating him. But then I found this article that said nine days so this happened January eighteenth, this like the big the thing that started it all with him. Nine days earlier, on January 9th, another girl said that he tried to do this with her. Like wow. he he yeah, so you can blame alcohol if you want, but, like, a predator is a predator no mm-hmm. matter what, and you're just using alcohol as a defense. Like, you're using it as a mask. There's a lot of predators who use the mask of parties, but they're all less known than Brock. And, you know, his his claim to, f- like, infamy is interesting and unique, but I can't really get, get into that right now. So, instead, I'm going to talk about UNL because that is what I do know all about. So like we said earlier, UNL is a dry campus, and because of that, all the parties here, maybe not all the parties, but like, I'd say like 90% of the parties that happen, happen at the hands of Greek life. 
Um, at the hands of Greek life. At the, <laughs> at the claws. <laughs> and a lot of, and accordingly, like, I parallelly, parallel, I don't know how to oh, say this. Sure. At the same time. <laughs> uh, so do a lot of the sexual assaults. And then I started thinking about just, like, what does party culture mean in general? Like, party culture to me is kind of synonymous <clears throat> with, like, maybe not exactly the same, but, like, fairly fairly similar to rape culture. Like, this idea of just not being able, just doing whatever you want because it's at the heat of the moment. Like, you're having fun. Who gives a shit? Who are you hurting in the meantime? Mm-hmm. So I really started to think about fraternities and kind of just, like, their presence on campus. So going back to the survey that I made, there was a significant amount of people that complained about catcalling. So here, I'm going to read you some of the responses. So I asked students, do you feel safe on campus? Why or why not? And the ones that said no said the following. Catcalling weekly in the daylight or at night, sometimes while walking past the Theta Zai house where men sit on their porch watching. Another time, a boy, total stranger who I had never spoken to before, blocked my exit route after a class and asked me out. When I said no, he asked three more times, to which I answered no each time. I was getting scared, so I settled to give him my phone number, and then I sped walked away. I was nervous every day in class after that because I turned him down. The next one is, I've been harassed by strangers through catcalls, an aggressive sexual assault at the bars, and at off-campus events and parties. The man who sexually assaults me was one was someone I knew from high school, but I never actually spoken to him before, so I guess you can consider him a stranger as well. And then I was harassed at and catcalled on campus multiple times. Lots of catcalling and gross comments from people driving by, and particularly the boys outside of their frat houses. So let me explain, I guess, like our campus a little bit. I feel like I explained this a former episode, but we'll go back to this. So it kind of fences in campus. So like, if you want to get anywhere off campus, you kind of have, like you're gonna to have to walk past at least one Greek house. More likely than not, there's there's some ways, but like the most common routes are through the Greek row. And some of the fraternities um, have like balconies, not all of them, maybe like four or five, like a handful. Mm-hmm. How many frats are there like with houses? Do you oh, know? Oh, man. Uh, like 14? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the expert here. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, on campus, there's probably 11 or 12. Okay. I yeah. Think. So maybe out of those, like, maybe three or four. Yeah. Um, but like, they all have windows that are pretty much always open. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. I think, like, the amount of times that, like, I've heard people yell out windows is more frequent than balconies even. Yeah. So I don't know. And I think, um, in general, people kind of like to downplay cat catcalling because they're like, oh, that's just, like, just people being stupid. But by definition, that is sexual harassment. Like, you are mm-hmm. not asking for someone to comment on you and your appearance appearance and they are well and it's scary too because you don't know if it's just going to be catcalling or if it's going to escalate into something else yeah and that's immediately at least for me where my mind goes when someone does something like that my first thought is oh fuck like are they gonna follow me are they gonna come try to talk to me Mm -hmm. that's that's what happens when you hear someone start yelling stuff at you yeah so and i'd also like to comment the people that are in like, not everybody on campus is in Greek life, but the people that are in Greek life are almost on, ev- like, every single leadership position that you could get on campus is held by someone who is from the Greek system. Yeah. Seven, um, 77% of leadership positions wow. on campus are held by members of Greek life. Stats guy. Michael Skarn. Um, 
So, yeah, so, like, these people are super prominent around campus, which is great. Like, that's great. And I'm not going to totally discount Greek life. Like like I said earlier, I'm in a sorority, and I would say maybe I'm not the typical sorority girl, which which is stereotypically what every sorority girl says. But, like, <laughs> I'm, I actually mean this. I don't participate in a lot of things because I'm busy with other things. Because I joined as a sophomore, like, I wasn't super bonded with my pledge class. I've made some super solid friendships that, like, I will cherish forever. But I cannot say that my sorority is my entire life, which to a lot of people it is. And, like, that's great. I think it's great that women have been able to find specific outlets where they can be in a group of themselves and trust each other and not be afraid. But because of their prominence on campus, I do think that they need to be held accountable to protect their members and also to, like, keep their members accountable. So after looking at this survey and kind of thinking about things, I was really angry. Like, I think it's so fucked up. And, like, I've seen Theta's Eye catcall people. Like, I've been catcalled by them. And I and I never reported it. And I was, like, like I was just so frustrated because, like, there's no way that people don't know this is happening. That's mm-hmm. – there's no way. So I decided to put my money where my mouth was and address this issue. In order to be fair, I emailed every single chapter at UNL with the following email. Hello, my name is Sophia Nocera. I'm currently working on a podcast discussing sexual assault and harassment on college campuses. I sent out a survey to college students and several of the questions asked about their experiences with sexual assault and harassment, particularly at off-campus events. After doing this podcast for a few episodes, I've realized that definitions come into play a lot of the time. A lot of people don't know definitions of sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, or consent. I was emailing you to give your fraternity slash sorority an opportunity to tell me what measures the organization goes through to educate its members on this topic. It's no secret that fraternity off-campus events are a hotspot for sexual assault and harassment to occur, so I wanted to know what precautions, if any, you take in order to educate members to prevent these instances. If proven, what does your organization do to members who perpetrate these crimes to fellow students? Hope to hear from you soon. Sophia Nocera. So, all out there. It was not me being like, fuck your frat, fuck you men, (laughs) like, (laughs) you're trash, like, I'm out here to destroy you. It was me being like, okay, like, you know that this is an issue, I know that this is an issue, what do you do to fix it? Mm -hmm. What do you do to prevent it? So there's 39 fraternities and sororities on campus, and, like, this isn't, this isn't counting, like, multicultural ones either. I mostly focused on the ones that are in the infraternal council, or interfraternal council and the Panhellenic council because like those are the ones that have houses and those are the ones that like have the means to have really large parties on a regular basis. So there's 39 of them. Six houses responded. <laughs> Six. <laughs> Once again, full disclosure, I was unable to reach some of the houses because like I would click their website and like there was no way to act, contact them and like they didn't have Facebooks. Some houses like had online forms that I had to fill out and I've and then they wouldn't give me email verification, so I have like no way of proving that I emailed these people. But I am gonna call out the ones that I did did email and give opportunity to respond and they didn't. And I would also like to know I emailed all of these people twice because initially only two people responded. So this is me like hounding these people. So the ones that I couldn't get a response from whether that be they're impossible to contact or they just, like, were unwilling to respond to me, were Acacia, Alpha Gamma Nu, Alpha Gamma Rho, 
Alpha Gamma Sigma, Alpha Tau Omega, Beta Sigma Psi, Chi Phi, Delta Upsilon, Farmhouse, Sigma, or Kappa Sigma, Phi Delta Theta, Phi Kappa Theta, Phi Kappa Alpha, Pi Kappa Phi, Sigma <laughs> Alpha Epsilon, Sigma Phi Epsilon, Tau Kappa Epsilon, Theta Chi, those are just the fraternities. For the sororities, Alpha Chi Omega, Alpha Delta Pi, Alpha Omicron Pi, Al- Alpha Phi, okay, I don't know why that confused me, Alpha Chi Delta, Chi O, Chi Omega, sorry, I keep forgetting that people aren't in this world as me, Delta Gamma, which is my sorority, so that's awkward, Gamma Phi Beta, Kappa Delta, Kappa Kappa Gamma, Kappa Alpha Theta, Pi Alpha Chi, Pi Beta Phi, Sigma Alpha. So, like, no one. <laughs> um, Wait, did Delta 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 respond? Delta 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 did respond. Oh, interesting. Yes, interesting. yes. Mike used to be in Delta Delta Delta. Delta Delta Delta. How can I help you, help you, help you? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> cringe. Yeah, everyone just throw up for a second uh, after that. Just take a minute. So, yeah, so some of these, so let's start with the frats. So some of the frats, like, would respond to me, but and they'd, like, ask me a question, and then I'd respond, and then they just, like, wouldn't say anything back. So I'll give them credit. So that's um, mm-hmm. Alpha Gamma Sigma Sigma Chi and Farmhouse, and then Sigma Alpha Mu. I I really don't know what to make of that. So yeah, they at least responded to me, but they did not answer any of my questions. So sorry, guys. So let's go through the ones that did respond to me and like what measures they go through. So the first one that responded was Beta Theta, beta theta Pi. They're one, I would say, like one of the more prominent ones on campus. And so our school newspaper, The Daily Nebraskan and The New York Times mentioned them in an article because they held this formal dinner where they invited one executive member from every sorority house at UNL. And they talked about like what it's like to be female on campus and how men can assist with assault prevention. And then they also held a supplies fundraiser for Voices of Hope, which is an advocacy group in Lincoln that works with victims of sexual assault and domestic abuse. And then some of their members participated in the End Rape on Campus March in 2017. So I would say, like, that's probably one of the most extreme examples I found of, like, people actually, like, trying to do something about this, which is cool. Like, props to Beta. That's cool. And then the next one was Sigma Nu. Sigma Nu was a campus that was kicked off. And they've recently recently returned. (laughs) They're back, baby. (laughs) They're back. Back up better than before. So they said, they stand behind me, my podcast, blah, 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 pandering. (laughs) Um, And then, okay, so some the thing I have an issue with is some of these answers were a little vague. However, I will say the answers anyways, because at least they responded to me, which I could say for very few of these people. Sigma Nu said, our chapter specifically does a profound job through candidate sessions on teaching new members on what it means to be a knight, which is a Sigma Nu specific term, and to upload, (laughs) don't laugh, they're knights, (laughs) and to uphold the values of the shield. We are chivalrous men, and we have taken that very seriously. You're really going with this knight theme here. Chivalry will never die when there's a knight around. They will, they will ride their oh horses to save you. Right off in the sunset with their knight and their shield. Uh, Good God. Um, I'm so sorry, Sigma Nu. You just made it easy. Um, okay, and then they said, you're right, off-campus events are a hotspot for such things. 
And that's why we take a profound leap of educating our members that even though you're not on campus grounds, you still represent yourself and your brothers in any way you conduct yourself. They've never had to deal with a situation where a member has conducted himself inappropriately, asterisk by me that they know of, yeah. or that they're telling me, who, who fucking knows, honestly. They were kicked off, so. <laughs> True. Like, in the last three weeks, we haven't had a problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As of today. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> But in the case of it actually happening, our protocol would be to launch an investigation ourselves alongside law enforcement and the university, hoping to get all the information we can put together. What actually happened. Okay, this kind of makes me laugh because, like, could you imagine a Sigma new Knight, like, alongside, like, a serious police officer, like, trying to investigate this? Being yeah. like, Tommy, just fucking tell me, okay? Just trying to strap up his armor and adjust his helmet. Oh, my gosh. The armor is clinking so loud. Okay. I'm so sorry. I'm making fun oh, of you guys. Oh, Sigma Nu, I'm sure lots of you are very nice boys, but you really just made yourself, like, a target. kind of a target with this whole night thing. It's 2019. There's no nights anymore. I'm <laughs> Chivalry sorry. is dead, but you're still kind of cute. That's a line from a Promiscuous Girl, just in case everybody was wondering. Um, Okay. <laughs> Not to say, in that case, a member really didn't do it. We just want the whole story. From there, we conclude a member did, in fact, perpetrate a crime of that nature. He'd be subject to being dismissed from our organization and revoked and revoked of membership for life. Night no more. Mm-hmm. Um, denighted. Denighted. Yeah. Um, so then I also emailed Theta Zai, and, like, I sent them the other email, but I was also like, hey, I've heard allegations of you guys, like, sexually harassing people with these catcalls. What do you have to say? So the, the person that responded said, I'd like to apologize if you or any of your friends, which is like, okay, sorry. I like don't want to be unfair by like inputting my own subjective ideas into these emails like as I'm reading them. But he says, I'd like to apologize if you or any of your friends, which like is so to me dismissive of what I just told him. Like mm-hmm. I told you this is a survey. I told you like these are not necessarily people I know. Like. Mm -hmm. you're saying if you or any of your friends acting like I'm just like some pissed off sorority girl that like wants to yell at you and talk to your mom like no sorry okay I digress I'd like to apologize if you or any of your friends have ever felt uncomfortable walking by our chapter house we have we have not been made aware of this of any instances regarding catcalling off our balcony but this is not a subject we take lightly each semester we hold seminars where we remind members the importance of acting as a gentleman Additionally, during a member's time as an associate, we hold weekly classes where we teach how to uh, how to properly act and how to use good judgment. Weekly classes? <sighs> I highly doubt that. Yeah, I also highly doubt that. I find that very hard to believe. And then he said, <laughs> we just we declined to enter your podcast, blah, blah, blah. Um, we weren't asking you to enter the podcast. Yeah, I, that, okay, that was one thing that I kept, like, every single time. I don't know if, like, I don't know what you guys think from hearing the email, but, like, Almost every single frat was like, wait, do you want us to be on the podcast? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, in what? Just, what? Please just answer my questions. I, like, don't want you to come record with me. Like, just respond to the damn I email. don't want to be in a room alone with you as I'm talking about this, <laughs> about the issue of Greek life overall. While I, I kind of shit on Greek life, like, I don't want you sitting in here with me, actually. Yeah. So that was fucking, I, I don't understand that. Okay, so then let's go to the sororities. So the only two sororities that responded, which I, I'm a little disappointed about, ladies, just because, like, 
this is, I would say, first and foremost, a women's issue. Like, mm-hmm. We are the, like, primary victims of this kind of abuse, and we should be the ones, like, mostly talking about these issues, and yet two sororities spend the time to respond to me, which I find very frustrating, but it'd be like that, you know? That's showbiz, maybe, uh, <laughs> as they say. So the two that responded were Delta, Delta, Delta. All right, try Delta. And Find You. I don't know why I'm rooting for them. They kicked me out. <laughs> Okay, so let's go with the Tridelt. So Tridelt said, I'm happy to share with you the ways Tridelt helps our members learn about and prevent sexual assault and harassment. One of the big things we do nationally as a sorority is all new members go through what's called the Not Anymore program. It's an online program that consists of different modules discussing topics like consent, assault, sexual assault, sorry, dating violence, bystander behavior, and healthy relationships. Um, Our members have had great success with this program and it have enjoyed going through it. We also try to have a yearly chapter self-defense class for our members to participate in. During this class, we have a self-defense instructor come to show us a few moves of self-defense, as well as talk about being aware of your surroundings and avoiding situations which you use self-defense. On top of that, we preach that if a member decides to go to a party, they should always stick with their friends, and they should always pour their own drinks. In defense of Tridelt, I do remember participating in the self-defense class, and I do think about that stuff, the stuff that they taught us in that a lot still. So that was actually really useful. Good job, Tridel. But then also that online thing they're talking about, and maybe in the two years since I was in there, they started doing that, but they didn't do anything like that while I was a member. So I'd be interested to hear what they say if you asked them, like, when did you start doing that program? Hmm. Yeah, who... Who knows? And then Fun said, we have a new member educator as well as director of harm and risk prevention who discusses this issue as well as other conflicts our members may face and what precautions to take. They also discuss how members can receive help from outside sources as well as within our chapter. So once again, to be <laughs> as fair as possible, I will say I'm not really surprised that this many people did not respond the second I joined my sorority, Delta Gamma. Like the first meeting, they were like, you cannot talk to the press, like, yeah. you're not allowed to. And I'm sure that's, like, pretty common amongst yeah. everyone. I just am frustrated that they didn't think this was an issue important enough to take upon the members that they can, you know, that can talk about this. Yeah. When I joined the house, they, like, give you a sheet of paper that you would read in the case that you get interviewed. And, like, wow. you keep that in your wallet. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my. Weird. Weird. Wow. I, I know, like, we, they, they always send us emails, like, with certain people's numbers mm-hmm. and are, like, Use this if you ever, like, if the press ever approach mm-hmm. you. And I'm like, what would the uh, press approach me about? Uh-huh. Just um, like noon nights or once again so on campus, just funny. raiding around. You gotta talk to the press about that. <laughs> gotta take care of that night problem. That is so <laughs> sketchy. I've never heard of that, of a house having a protocol. I wonder if my sorority will sue me. <laughs> that would be really funny. I hope they sue you. I, think I hope they do, too. Maybe I need to get some clout. I also think what's interesting about those responses is, it's a lot about talking about like here are like like the things that we did to like like one time things that we did to help solve this problem, but it's not really addressing kind of like the deeper issue of like a party culture being present within the house because I think a lot of the times with these you know like what was it Brock that you're talking about mm-hmm. yeah so to me that sounds like that was a decision that was made before he went to that party almost yeah because it was like present that he like, was talking about it with another guy or, like, you know, like, and I've seen that happen multiple times where, like, before these parties happen, like, guys are, like, hyping each other up and, like, talking to each other 
And it, like I said, like it's a decision that is made before that actually happens. And I think what's interesting is, you know, you can, after the fact, you can take guys to a class. I'm saying guys because you know, I'm in a fraternity, but you can take guys to a class. You can take guys to an event on campus. But if you're not addressing the problem before it actually happens, then what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you know, correcting guys' language in the house before these parties or listening closely and calling each other on, you know, BS, then what are you doing? Yeah. You can't just, you can't just, you know, act retroactively. You need to be proactive about solving these problems, which is a little disappointing that that wasn't addressed in any of those responses. Yeah, and, like, so, like, as you're, at least, like, through sorority recruitment, they made us do these, like, alcohol-related exercises before we could really get going. Like, like it's, like, this online class it takes like an hour to do but like you can do it in like 20 minutes if you just click through which like everybody does and you have to do that before you come to UNL also but I really don't remember anything where they do that with consent and we're shown these funny videos of consent weird analogies of like tea and shit but like I feel like that isn't really it's not the same like you're not showing videos of this girl like half awake obviously fucked up and being like okay, can you bang her? Like, the, there's some, I, I don't know if it's because, like, people just don't want to show things that are too graphic to incoming students or, like, incoming members, but I think there's a huge disparity between these analogies that people are trying to make. Like, they're not doing a good job. They're not showing the severity of the situation, and I think it'd be better to, you know, show a maybe kind of disturbing video that shows what a big deal this actually is as opposed to, the tea video that's like stick figures going, would you like some tea? And then one of the stick figures saying no. And then there's a caption that says like, the stick figure said no, so don't give them tea. Like, it's fucking stupid. Yeah, and I appreciate what these videos are trying to do, like trying to dumb down the issue, but like I feel like these are videos for children, not for... 18, 19-year-olds coming into college mm-hmm. able to do this to other people. Well, and think about, like, I remember watching that coming into the university, and they put you in this giant auditorium, and, I mean, I'm sure, I don't people remember are specifically, laughing. but people are, like, taking a break from the day and, like, sitting on their phones, talking to their friends. Like, I guarantee mm-hmm. you 75% of those people weren't even paying attention to the video. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, like, an issue of our school in general, So I emailed the Office of Greek and Sorority Life and, like, the office that deals with them and, like, keeps them accountable, yada, yada, yada. I emailed them twice, and they did not respond. I also emailed, which is, I think, the most frustrating thing that I found through this process. I fucking emailed UNL Police Department both times asking this question, what do you do to educate students on consent? And I got nothing. So just just from these emails that I sent off, I got, I'm just so frustrated at this, like, wall of silence. It's like this weird wave of silence that was hit over everyone as I asked them about this. And, like, once again, this wasn't me aggressively being, like, I'm going to destroy you. Like, I'm going to destroy this university. Like, fuck all of you. It was me being, like, okay, how do you teach people about consent? And somehow, like, I don't, I really don't know what got lost there, but no one was giving me anything, which I find. What, why do you think they didn't respond. I I don't know why UNLPD didn't, didn't respond. I was talking to some university employee, and it's like my the second round of emails I said, once again, to be completely upfront with everyone, I was like, if you do not respond to this email, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to report that you did not respond to this email either. 
Mm-hmm. And she was like, UNLPD doesn't take well to threats, which, like, to me, who gives a fuck if you, like, this is your job. Like, your job is to keep the students safe. And part of that is, like, us understanding definitions. To me, like, I think people assume consent is just a yes. But consent is them saying yes the first time you ask without you trying to coerce them, without them being fucked up, without them being otherwise compromised and yet like so many people don't understand that and it's because like we're never taught it like in high school mm-hmm. you never fucking talk about sex like oh, no it's <laughs> no Especially way in the midwest yeah that conversation is never gonna happen in a high school so yeah for you and lpd i cannot believe that i as a student am asking you this question and you don't even take the time to send even a half-assed response like you are grossly not doing your job sorry that was a uh... Very intense (laughs) digression. So, okay, so let's get into the worst slash most interesting part of this whole podcast, the stories. As you know, the survey was just meant for people to be able to tell me their stories, so let's get through them. So this first part is just parties in general, and this is kind of reflecting what the three of us have been talking about, like the lack of knowledge, the general machoism that there is in, in the Greek system, and then just like what happens once you actually show up to a party. So the first person said, I've seen too many fraternity men or not in Greek men sexually assault women at off-campus parties, and knowing that they walk around me on campus, especially at night when I'm alone, is unsettling. I feel unsafe as a woman walking around at night if I'm alone. As a freshman, I found myself in uncomfortable situations when going out with friends at to large parties. <laughs> I would read off all of them, but honestly, like, there's just so many of them that are like, there's like at least 20 responses out of the 50 people that responded that are like yeah like people when I'm when they're at parties and when they're drunk like just don't know how to take a chill like they don't know what no means and they don't know what consent means and they just don't care Mm -hmm. and like a lot of that has to do with like women being smaller than being drunk just like unaware well I think (laughs) we're both named Mike (laughs) (laughs) Michael I am Mike I am Michael (laughs) (laughs) no I mean I think like what a lot of this is coming from is you know, a reluctancy to even, like, ask in the first place because, like, a lot of guys don't want to give up the fact that they can just, like, kiss a girl or something like that for, like, lack of a better example. like Or, like, that if they're, like, you know, dancing with a girl at a party, like, they don't feel the need to, like, ask. And, you know, at some point, that is something that will have to be asked. You know, that will, like, you have to give up your pride there and, like, ask that question. Like, like, are we on the same page right now? And I think, you know, being able to ask that every single step of the way and consistently doing so is, like, the only way or or at least a good place to start with solving, like, this problem and, like, a lot of these things that women have when they're at parties or surrounded by men on campus is, you know, can you actually ask every single step of the way? Can you always make sure, like, always that you're on the same page with this person? And, you know, like, that takes, like, courage to ask that question. I think the easiest thing is to not. Yeah, I'm, I get, like, the, like, if you're in a relationship with someone after, like, like after a while, like, mm-hmm. you, you know how to read them and, like, you know what they're, like, the way that their body is responding if, like, what you're doing is okay or not. But I think, like, the first time that you ever hook up with someone, especially if it's someone that you don't know, it is not at all, like, I don't think it's weird to ask. Like, no. 
I've had, like, I, you can make it funny, too. Like, you don't have to be yeah. like, is it okay if I touch you like this? Like, you don't have to be like that, but you can be like, <laughs> hey, want to bang? And if the other person wants to bang, they'll say, yeah, I want to bang. Like, I, like, you don't have to, like, be like, is it okay if I make out with you? Right. Like, you can maybe, like, like, make a move and be like, is this okay halfway through? And then if they say yes, cool. And if not, then stop in your tracks and back up. Like, I don't understand. I, I think just, like, in general, society's weirdness with sex makes us, like, feel weird to ask each other about it but like right it's a lot more weird for you to wake up in the morning and realize like oh that girl was not into what i was doing yeah, yeah. and also like to like, in that conversation to like you know let that other person know that like you are cool with them like not being on the same page as you and be like hey you know like are you okay with this if you're not then like i am totally fine with that and like, i don't know i think like i some girls or like i've heard of this happening where like they feel, like, scared, so they say yes, and they don't mean yes. And I think, like, it's just a way of asking that question. Can you ask it in a way that, like, makes the other person know that you actually, like, want to know that? Mm-hmm. Or you actually care about that person? Yeah. I don't know. I, I just don't think it's that hard and that weird to check in on people. Like, you, what are, what are they going to say the next morning? Like, he asked me too many questions. Okay, there's way worse things that you could be <laughs> called in the morning. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to read some of the answers that were a little bit longer. Like I said, over 20 people. Like and I'm not exaggerating on this survey were like, I just feel super unsafe knowing that I've seen these men assault women at parties or assault me and my friends and then just like know that they're around me. So, not me personally, but my friend was raped freshman year and discouraged from reporting it reporting by staff because it would affect the Greek system. Um, obviously I can't like do any research to prove that. But as I was talking to, I was talking to this university employee at the Women's Center, and she was telling me, like, sometimes sorority, specifically in sororities, they get a lot of shit because they're, like, their peers are like, they're not going to invite us to the parties now. Which, like, fuck Mm -hmm. you if that is your concern. Like, (laughs) and even within our sorority, like, that is a regular issue. People being like, you can't say these things because other fraternities like aren't going to like us and they're not going to invite us to their parties. If they can't handle you speaking your mind and like being a normal fucking human, then fuck them. Like you don't need to go to those parties. It's I'm sorry. Once again, another angry rant. <laughs> Second one is the off-campus party culture encourages young men and women to drink as much as possible in as little time as possible. This environment is often in a small space where I've seen men lurking around to determine who is the most drunk or who they could easily take advantage of. I've had a multitude of encounters in which, if my friends had not been with me, I would likely have drunkenly stumbled hope with someone without thinking. This doesn't mean I've ever been assaulted, but with the frequency of this occurrence means that women are often left in vulnerable situations where they have little defense against something happening. I haven't heard of people having the misfortune of experiencing sexual, sexual assault situations that are very similar to the ones I have been in. Or I have heard. Sorry, I have heard those situations. <laughs> wow. That was a complete 180. Knowing this makes me afraid to venture off campus and be surrounded by potential predators without even realizing it. And then this is one issue that I kind of found, this is like one sentence that I found kind of, it like leads to a bigger issue. This first one is drunk boys at off-campus parties have made me feel unsafe, but I'm unsure if they were students. And then two, my assaulter technically was a UNK student who was visiting for the weekend, so I'm not sure whether he counts as a Nebraska student. 
So this issue to me is particularly interesting because, you know, we're always taught like report, 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 like you need to report this to university and then they'll do something. However, because UNL is a dry campus, it's not like a lot of these things happen on campus. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of these things happen off campus. And like some fraternities, especially like the ones that have been like kicked off campus, they're, they still can recruit members and like they can still have people live in their house, which is like pretty much on campus. It's just not like, I guess, like legally on campus. How much control can a university actually have if there, if something is happening far away from campus? You know, like, mm-hmm. and then how do you make that distinction? Like, if you live a block away from campus, can the university do anything? What about if you live a mile off campus? What about if you're doing something in Omaha, which is like 45 minutes away from here, like, mm-hmm. but you go to the university, like, I don't really know exactly, like, what what someone should do in these situations. If you're comfortable reporting, obviously, I think going to the police is your best bet. But I think it's, like, super, honestly, hypocritical of the university to be like, you need to report these things, but yet not be able to answer these questions in, like, a super clear way. And even as I talk to university employees, there was no way of knowing. So that's, like, that's super problematic. Like, if I, what if I don't want to go to the police? What if I only want to talk to my university? That way the student gets kicked off. But then what is the university going to say? Like, this didn't happen on campus, so we can't do anything? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's just, just something interesting to point out. Okay, this next story is, I was at an off-campus party and had drank enough to black out for a while. Last thing I remembered before blacking out was talking to this boy who had gone to my high school, but I'd never spoken to him before. When I came back, like when she came back like from being blacked out, we were kissing. I didn't want to be kissing him, but I didn't stop because I figured it'd be soon over anyways. Then he led me towards a separate room, and I tried to tell him that I didn't want to go, but I couldn't get the words to come out. He then engaged in sexual activity and forced me to do the same. I was uncomfortable, and I believe I began to cry during this. This next one is, this guy and I kissed at a bar, and from that moment on, he wouldn't leave me alone after I made it clear I wasn't interested. He followed me around the bar, and when he told me he couldn't, f- he couldn't find me, found some of my friends, I found some of my friends and waited for me. Um, he waited outside of the bathroom for me, and at one point I was trapped, so I had to call my guy friend to come get me. I have a very similar story to that, actually. Really? Yeah, when I was at KU, I was at a bar one night, very intoxicated, willingly, and, like, this was totally consensual, made out with him that night. Afterwards, he would text me a bunch, and I had to tell him, like, no, I don't want to go on any dates with you. Like, sorry, I'm not interested. I was just, like, out partying that night. Like, sorry. Um, And then a couple, like, the next weekend or a couple weekends later, I was at the Hawk, and I had posted it. I was there with a couple girlfriends, and we were just having a little night out. And I posted a couple pictures on my story with the little, like, hawk logo thing and, like, saying stuff about the hawk. Made it obvious I was there. All of a sudden, I'm, like, I'm standing in one of the main rooms, and I turn, and this boy that I had made out with is sitting alone on a stool in the corner. Like, and as the night progresses, it becomes very clear that he saw my Snapchat story that I was there, came to the hawk by himself, and just, like, kind of slowly followed me and my friends throughout the hawk for the rest of the night. It was very disturbing. Oh, my. Do you, um, okay, I have my own story related to this. So, me and Mike Hunt, not Michael Scarn, were at, um, (laughs) 
we're at this bar and like it's there's like four bars downtown that like everybody goes to they're always super packed it's like always impossible to move but everybody's there so we're there we see some of our friends in the back and then one of my guy friends you know he lets me like so like there's a back part of this bar and then the front part so one of my guy friends was like oh at the front part of the bar just meet me there so I, so first I'm like, okay, cool. I'm trying to get a drink. And then all of a sudden this guy pops up behind me out of nowhere. And I recognize him. I, he was, so when I was a freshman, I'm like, I'm an, I'm a minority student. So I was like part of this special like program with the Office of Academic Success and Intercultural Services, also called OASIS. And pretty much like if you're part of this program, your freshman year, they like make you do this course. And then you're giving, like, a peer mentor, kind of. And he was my peer mentor. So this dude's, like, a senior when I was a freshman. Like, he's significantly older than me. So we make eye contact, and I just, like, looked at him, and I was like, uh. And he was like, wow, like, when did you turn 21? Which is, like, a creepy fucking thing to say. And you haven't seen this guy since freshman year, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're friends on Facebook, but it's not like we, like, chatted up or anything, you know? Also, couldn't, like, he do the math on that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, uh, July? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dumb thing to say. Um, so yeah, that was that's weird. So then he's like trying to talk to me, and I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? So he, yeah, he's just commenting on like how young I am, which is like uh. weird. Yeah. So then I moved to this front part of the bar, and he fucking follows me. I was w- with her at the time, and he's just pretty blatantly just tracked us right up there and it like was bizarre and i saw one of his friends at the back bar and his friend like slowly trailed after him so like his friend was like watching him like aware what he was doing but like wasn't stopping him so then he's like what's your favorite drink and i was like I t- and i told him and he's like oh that's weird and i was like i don't know why you asked me that and i just like and then we went to a different bar yeah i'm pretty sure we scurried away at that point and got the hell out of there he went to the different bar <laughs> And, like, this isn't, like, one of the four or five bars that everybody goes to. Like, this is, like, a different bar. This is a random bar. This is, like, a random bar that, like, not that many people go to. And he fucking followed. And He must have followed us there. I just don't know how else that would have happened. And he wasn't with anyone. He was just, like, a creepy little lone wolf. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fucking weird. Okay. Okay. So this guy I met at a party kept sliding his butt down my... His hand down my butt. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I really fucked that one up. Reread that so you can switch it later. (laughs) This guy I met at a party kept sliding his hand down my butt. Although I kind of liked him, we barely spoke, and I felt like this was way too much way too soon, especially because I was very drunk and he was very sober. The girl I was with, we are no longer friends, told me word for word, don't make a big deal out of it. Oh. So I convinced myself that I was maybe being too uptight and should just let it happen. Other times involved dancing at a club and guys came up behind me to grind on me. Before I became confident enough to say no, I would try to walk away, stop dancing, or push the guy off me, but some guys don't get the hint. I've had one guy try to get aggressive with me where he grabbed my hips tightly. I would describe it as a death grip, and it was quite painful, and forced me to dance with him. I was scared and uneasy, but I didn't want to cause any kind of confrontation, so I let it happen. As soon as the song stopped, I immediately moved as far away from him as possible. After that incident, I surrounded myself with better people and became more vocal with saying no. Good for you. Yeah, fuck your friend. Like, Yeah, fuck your friend, and good for you. If any of your friends ever don't want to hook up with someone, don't, like, pressure them. That's just weird. Yeah, yeah I think it's also interesting with, like, a couple of these stories. It's, like, it's all people that they kind of know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's, like, it's, it's bad because I feel like with the guy that, like, creates this, like, weird 
like expectation that's like, oh, we know each other enough for this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And without even communicating that in the first place. And there could be no cues from either side and, like, no consent from either side. But it's like, oh, we kind of know each other. So, like, I can do whatever the fuck I want to this girl. Right. Naro- no, bucko. Because I talked to you one time, like, freshman year of high school. I like, looked at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Eye contact equals consent, apparently. <laughs> um, I had quite a few drinks at a party and was led upstairs by some guy who I don't really remember that well. Once again, like, guys we kind of know. I know we hooked up to some extent in the upstairs of his house, but I'm not sure how far it went. Freshman year was a bit too wild. I never thought that this was assault because I had never told him no. When we left upstairs, all the other boys at the party were cheering him on, clapping and laughing. Mm, Gross. I'm not sure what the girls at the party thought about this. I was too focused on the guys surrounding this guy I was upstairs with to give him a pat on the back. I just wanted to go home. Hmm. Uh, So this next one is interesting because it is from... A boy. Oh. So I'm a boy, and I've had a girl lead me on towards drunk sex when intoxicated. After a certain amount of time, I somewhat came to my senses, vomited, and ran out of the room to sleep in another room. Mm. Which, like, relatable. And I was going to say hi to a friend at a party she was hosting. This is a different one, but I think this is still a guy. I was going to say hi to a friend at a party and she was hosting at her house, but when I arrived at the party, it was pretty much over. Um, It was late. I was trying to catch the end of it and make an appearance. I went in and said hi to some of her roommates. One of her roommates asked if I'd seen their place before. I said no, so she said, okay, well, I'll show you around. Famous last words. Hmm. We went downstairs to her room first, but I could tell um, as we went downstairs that she was quite intoxicated and was feeling a bit pushy with her body, if you catch my drift. We only got halfway down to the staircase when she pushed me against the wall, rubbed herself against me, and said some flirty things. I played it off with her because she was quite drunk, and I had met her a few times before, so I gave her the benefit of the doubt that she didn't really mean what she was trying to, what she was saying, or who she was saying it to, and I tried to get us back, focused back on what we were going to do, a house tour. Unfortunately, her bedroom was downstairs, and when she showed it to me, she asked if I wanted to go in with her, and she could shut the door. Of course, red flags were starting to be raised in my head, and I said, no, thank you, and I got back upstairs with some negotiating. Once upstairs, I thought I was pretty much in the clear because the roommates were up there. But then she showed me into their living room, told me to sit on the couch. I did. And then her roommates called her in to talk to them in the kitchen. They were cleaning up from the party, and she wasn't helping. I was sitting on the couch on my phone, and she came back, and she mounted me, took her off her shirt, and started making out with me. Whoa! I was pretty taken aback for numerous reasons. Her roommates were in the room next door. It was a sudden rapid escalation. She was a bit heavy, she was a bit heavier woman, so I couldn't really move her unless I pushed her off of me. I made out with her for a little bit and kissed her body a little, and then I don't remember why she was called away into the kitchen for some reason. She told me she would be back and that I should stay there, but as soon as she got off me, I went to the kitchen and went into the kitchen. I bolted and got right out of there. Pretty much ran home to my fraternity and made light of the situation with them. It probably made me feel a little bit better about it, I guess. I'm pretty much fine about the situation now, but I still have some feelings of disgust, disdain, and embarrassment over the night. Hmm. Whenever I see her, I try to avoid eye contact and avoid speaking to her if I can. I don't know if she remembers the events of that night, so I haven't talked to her about it, and I never plan on it. But yeah, that's what happened. Long story short. Hmm. Which, which makes me so frustrated because, like, 
with guys, I'm sure it's so much harder to talk, uh, yeah. you know, like, to anybody about this. And, like, mm-hmm. I'm glad that his friends, like, were able to, like, make him feel a little bit about bit better about the situation. But, like, th- I, I want girls to also know, like, you can make a guy feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like, sex needs to be something that both people are super into. You know, I've had I've had boyfriends that, like, I'm sleeping with that like, get, like, whiskey dick. And, like, I understand that feeling of, like... Am I not good enough? Like, am I not hot enough for this to happen? But you just need to remember, how would you feel if what you were doing, if, if what you were doing was happening to you? And also it's like, develop a common language with that person and like, be on the same page. I think, like, think back to the story, like, where the girl was crying. I mean, like, if you're a dude and the girl is crying, like, even if like, you know, there wasn't like a yes or no, that should be like, more than enough. To, yeah. To know that that person is feeling violated in that situation. Yeah. Like, it, You're so gross of a person if you can ignore someone crying right. during sex. Well, yeah. that's something that just keeps coming to mind throughout talking about this. A big problem, and this is even more depressing than people not understanding consent, is that I think a lot of people just kind of don't care yeah. about it. And I think it's, all, it's a matter of teaching people to care about caring about other people's feelings. So... Yeah, and I, w- I would, under- I don't know, I guess I would understand more if, like, sexual gratification was something that you needed other people for, but, like, you can get off by yourself, and, like, if you're really that desperate to have sex with people, like, just masturbate a lot, and maybe you'll find someone eventually that thinks you're not a piece of shit. <laughs> masturbate a lot, be patient. Come on. That's not it. That hard. Two rules, people. <laughs> okay, so these are the last ones. So, like, four people said, I've had my ass slapped and called names by people both drunk and sober and that reminds me so you're gonna tell i know what you're i know what story you're about to tell <laughs> so mike hunt here was very recently like this is like very recent after a breakup and one of our friends was like you guys should come with me to this club and we we're like okay and like didn't really want to but we did it no i wanted to i was having a great night i didn't want to but <laughs> I, was I did having it a great time and um so we're dancing it's just like a group of girls it's a lot of fun and then this random guy comes up out of nowhere starts dancing with mike that's fine but then he yells dance bitch <laughs> which was God. the funniest thing i've ever heard anybody say to this day sophie yells dance bitch at me and it is like in hindsight like very funny but also what the hell dude i'm a strange girl (laughs) like you are blessed to be dancing with me at that time don't yell dance bitch at me (laughs) also like what was he hoping what would happen yeah what did he think the outcome of that was i gonna turn around and be like oh my god that was so hot make out with me like no i turned around like made a what the fuck face at him and scurried off to my friends mike like, literally just like laughed and was like no i t- like <laughs> literally turned on my heels and just walked in the opposite direction and then some other creepy lurker cool. who i don't think was friends with him was like why'd you stop dancing with him like why do you care yeah oh i completely <laughs> forgot about that yeah i went back to my group of girls and this guy's like why'd you stop dancing with him like guys like for- it made, made sense to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like what the fuck okay so this person responded I previously enjoyed going to Frosh's, but became very nervous to be there after I was assaulted. I became nervous to drink and be around drunk men. I didn't trust any men when they were drunk, even ones I knew. I used to drink fairly heavily. Fairly heavily. I used to drink fairly heavily. While now I'm, while now if I'm in public with anyone I don't know extremely well, I don't have any desire to, to be drunk or even tipsy. 
I also struggled for several years to be vulnerable in relationships and kept what happened to me um, from almost everyone in my life. I stopped talking about things that were bothering me instead of keeping them to myself and letting them eat me away. I felt very lonely and isolated for a while. I still struggled to talk to um, others about things that bother me. So yeah, you might think that this is just like some drunk bitch that you're trying to hook up with who's being difficult, but like to her, like you could really be fucking her up and like making her not want to socialize with others and like, Mm -hmm. that's whack. So um, as I looked at the survey, I think one, I want to say like the most troubling thing to me is that when in party situations, it seems like a lot of people who are like in the friend zone, if you want, like if you want to put it like that, take being drunk as an opportunity to exit that and like put the relationship to a new level, which is not okay. Like this isn't, this isn't love actually. This isn't some shitty rom-com where, you know, you get swept off your feet at the end of the movie and you making this big romantic drunk gesture is going to pan out well. Like this is real life and your drunk gestures can just like make you lose a friend. Mm -hmm. So first one is like, Um, At a New Year's party, not very drunk, even though that doesn't matter. I had sex with someone I was not interested in having sex with. I asked him to be my New Year's kiss, and he chose to escalate things to a very uncomfortable level at that moment, grabbed me and forced himself on the side of me. Um, I was very, or inside of me. Wow. Um, I was very upset about this for days. Um, I blacked out at a bar and went to uh, a friend's place afterwards. He had an extra room for me to sleep in. I fell asleep in the extra room before the other people left. I woke up naked in his bed the next morning to him touching me. My friend luckily came to his apartment and I was able to leave. I do not remember the nights, the events of the night after I fell asleep. And that, like, if you remember from the first episode, is almost exactly what happened to Mike. Like, and I think that's... Very similar. I think it is so gross that that is so common. Yeah. That, like, How many of those stories have we heard from people? A like, lot. I, I literally looked at the survey and I read that answer and I was like, Mike, did you enter this? And she was like, no. And I was like, well, the I, same yeah, fucking thing happened. Yeah, I asking you that when you got that. Yeah. Um, okay, and then this last one was, I was followed home and assaulted by a friend who thought that they had permission to do so because we were both drunk. His efforts were deliberate because I, I was actually talking to his friend at the time and definitely knew this. I had videos saved from the night of my assaults were trying, saying hi to the guy that I was seeing. Yet when I woke up, my pants were off and I was next to someone I would never, ever engage with sexually or even flirtatiously. These next two stories are rather unique. They are from Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 2. As I collected stories in the survey, I offered participants an option to meet with me in person, providing that I keep them anonymous as I tell their stories. There are four Jane Doe's in total who have allowed me to talk to them in person. The first Jane Doe was a stranger. A mutual contact suggested she tell me her story, almost as a therapeutic measure. I met Jane Doe 1 in a coffee shop, and I was immediately struck with by how pretty she and nice she was. I was worried that these interviews could be difficult to do, and the interviewees would immediately regret their decision. But once Jane sat down, that fear went away. Let's go back to 2017 when Jane's nightmare started. Jane worked for the athletic department here at UNL, and if you know anything about UNL, our athletics, particularly football, are more like a religion than a form of entertainment. She made a close group of friends who she started spending all of her free time with. They'd go to on-campus events, 
hang out together after class, and go out as a group on weekends. Jane said she wasn't really sure what to call it, but after talking with her for a while, she opened up to me and told me that the first time she was raped by one of these close friends was sometime in the first half of 2017. Her and her friends would go out for drinks, and because they didn't want to drive drunk or pay for an Uber or Lyft home, they'd all crash at this friend's house. Let's call him John. So, she was slowly able to piece together what happened. She fell asleep on the couch and woke up in his bed. She's not sure what drunk Jane said. All she knew was sober Jane was not having it. However, she didn't say anything. She wasn't sure if it was a drunken mistake and felt like she was responsible for not making boundaries with him. She was also in denial that he, one of her closest friends, would do that, and that she, Jane, was having this happen to her. It couldn't be true. She couldn't be another statistic. But the second time it happened, in the second half of 2017, she told him to stop. This can't happen again, she told him. The third time, she was even more assertive, and she said, I told you if this happens again, we aren't friends. I don't care what drunk Jane says, it does not happen. Sober Jane is telling you no. Which should have been the end of that. She started thinking about her situation and realized she wasn't at fault. She was asleep every time this happened. She was laying there and he'd pick her up and bring her into his bed. She knew that just laying there wasn't an invitation, but he took it out as one. She started developing her line and her boundaries there. To her, they were friends, and just that. Friends don't sleep together. They don't have sex. New Year's of 2017 was the last time this happened. There was a party and she had a blast. She drunkenly wrapped herself up on the couch and, like everyone else, passed out. He should have, too. Instead, Jane woke up to John taking off her Spanx. John's brother was right next to Jane on the couch. She was so delirious and caught off guard from waking up in a drunken haze, but she just knew something bad was happening. So she lost her shit, and he left. She went to one of his roommate's rooms and called her sister. She couldn't find her coat and realized John probably took it into his room. She decided to never talk to him again or see him. She was shaking with rage and sadness, as she ran into her sister's car. Her sister told her this didn't sound like a good situation, but Jane talked herself out of what happened. She felt like she never should have let it happen. She went into a hole of self-harm and cutting herself, and drinking wine regularly to cope. She'd look down at her arms and start bawling. In 2018, she decided to start over. It was a new year and this abuse was behind her. She wanted to live her life. Her birthday in February rolled around and some friends convinced her to go out. She lost her friend group from before because she couldn't handle hanging out with people who knew what was happening to her and remaining friends with her assailant, John. As she was at the bar, John walked in and she immediately decided to leave. She couldn't handle seeing him again. Despite her friends protesting, Jane drove away. She was almost home and noticed a car super close behind her, like to the point where she could no longer see his headlights. She switched lanes so he'd pass, but he followed her. She switched lanes again, and he did the same thing. It was a cop. He pulled her over, and he immediately sees her makeup all over her face. 
Jane says she looked like a raccoon. He takes her information and is gone for what seems like an eternity. Besides being afraid of getting a DUI, Jane is focused on one thing, her dad, who is also a cop, finding out. How is she supposed to explain things to her dad? She didn't want to report what happened, nor did she want to tell her dad. The cop came back and offered to drive her home. Well, her dad's home. She walked into her father's house. She told him it was okay for him to be angry with her for waking him up, but she begged him not to ask what happened. Then he asked, Is anyone else going to get hurt tonight if you don't tell me? And she responded, Fuck, Dad, I don't know. From the way she worded things and him knowing who her friends were, her dad pieced together what had happened. He offered to have him and some of his other cop friends to arrest him. Jane refused. She said she could have let them go after John, but she didn't. In March, she got her dog, a pit bull from the Humane Society. She claims he saved her more than she saved him. She started teaching, which was a lot more difficult than she anticipated. She was overwhelmed with her student circumstances, and the one time she had to call CPS, it killed her. After a rough day, she called one of her best friends, let's call him Mark, and told him she needed to have fun. So, they went to a bar named Harry's to have some drinks and play pool. Jane doesn't remember the ride home. Mark says he had to drag her up the stairs, even though Jane only had one drink the hour they were there. He never saw her act like that while drunk and was very confused. So, Mark slept on the couch in case she needed him, but he had to leave early in the morning for work. Jane woke up to her dad pounding at her door at 9.02. School started at 9, and she was supposed to be there at 8.15. She threw up all over her room and started sobbing because she was so confused and scared. Her family told her someone must have put something in her drink. It was the only piece of this confusing puzzle that fit. The only explanation. Now, Jane has decided 2019 will be a better year. She goes to the gym to take her mind off of her stressful work environment and her trauma. She does have her dog. But when I talk to her, I still got this sense of rage. She completely lost all of her friends and was really hurt that none of them believed her nor did anything about the fact that she was abused. She and John were both invited to a wedding by a mutual friend, and Jane decided not to go. She says she can't go anywhere if she knows that he's going. She also believes that this interaction has interfered with her romantic life. It's really hard for her to trust people, and she's not comfortable going out and getting drinks. Eventually, Jane called out John. She said, Eventually, Jane called out John, and he responded, You want to make me feel bad? I have felt bad for a whole month. She told him, Sexual assault is the top of the list of reasons I hate you. He responded, Hate me then. I think the biggest thing in this story that's important to point out is, John was a football player. And like I said earlier, football players here are like gods. Consider the level that we were talking about people in Greek life. 
athletes are significantly more idolized. Jane now understands that what happened to her wasn't her fault, but she does have a hard time reconciling with John as to what happened to him. She really can't forgive him. I was able to talk about this story with Mike and Michael Scarn, so here are their responses. But yeah, that was the whole thing. Um, thoughts? Comments? I mean, yeah, I think that's just another of the... We've talked about this in other episodes. One of the examples of like how one of the shittiest things is losing a whole friend group because of some shitty person in that friend group who takes advantage of you. Like, either you don't say anything and you just live with it and keep hanging out with the people that you've always hung out with, or you have to make the decision to, like, accept that you're not going to be able to be around those people anymore, which is kind of what I talked about with that one situation in the first episode. But, yeah, and in her case, yeah, she lost that friend group, which really sucks. Yeah, and I'm just kind of frustrated in general by the idea of, like, the friend zone and trying to get out of it, like, that's just you not being able to handle rejection. Like, yeah. that's not you being mm-hmm. romantic and, like, trying to, like, bond with someone. Like, that's just you not taking no as an answer, which isn't romantic. It's fucking creepy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think in the whole, like, discussion of consent, like, by asking, you're, like, you're not going to lose some magic moment, you know? Like, yeah. you're not losing that. Like, you're adding value to that relationship, if anything. I think also, like, what I take away from that is, like, especially just, like, you know, when I talk to, like, younger guys in the house, it's, like, one thing that you do, it may not seem like a lot to you, but that can change someone's life, like, for their entire life. Yeah. And, it, like, you, like whether it's it happens, like, four times, like, God forbid, or, like, even one time, like, you can really mess that person up and make them feel less than human. And, like, I know that, like, a lot of, like, you know, like, they might not feel that, but the person who is violated certainly does. And it's important to know that, like, going into any situation, especially, like, when you're living in this party culture. Yeah. Um, so to wrap it up, I, we're not saying, like, you shouldn't drink and you shouldn't, like, hook up with people and you shouldn't have sex and you shouldn't have fun. Like, we do all of those things and, like, uh, probably way too much of all of them. <laughs> but... <laughs> I think there's, like, a big difference between doing it when you're sure that the other people around you are also into it and then just Mm -hmm. doing it because you yourself want that, Mm -hmm. like, feeling. Um, This world isn't revolved around you, and you need to make sure that the people that you're participating in things with are also interested. Alcohol isn't an excuse to be an abusive person, um, nor is your desire to get with your friend an excuse for you to prey on her when she's drunk. Um, you just really needed to take into consideration, like, if I was sober, would these actions be looked at well? And if the answer is no, you probably shouldn't fucking do them. Yeah. Right. Well said. I yeah. agree. No, I mean, thanks for having me. You made my dream come true, remember? <laughs> it's great to be here. Dreams work. Dream well. Yep. <laughs> And And with that stroke out, I think we're out. I met with Jane Doe, too, after my conversation with Mike and Michael Scarn, so I was unable to discuss this story with them. However, I think it's pretty relevant, so I'm going to tell you all.
So Jane Doe 2 studied abroad fall semester 2018 in Ecuador. It was a semester-long program, and there were students from all over, not one specific school. She was studying Spanish and environmental classes. She had a small group of friends, and they did a lot of things together. One of the girls in her friend group was her neighbor. Her host mother was the mother of Jane's host mother, so essentially Jane's host grandmother. The whole family lived in a small cul-de-sac with a lot of aunts and uncles around the area, too. So, Jane's birthday was coming up, and her host family wanted to take her for a trip in their farmside house the week before her birthday. So, the whole family went, and she said it was a lot of fun. Her family was giving her beer and whiskey to let loose and have some fun. Everybody was dancing and eating, typically in Latino culture, and I can say this as a Latina, Families like to stay up pretty late, especially when they're partying. But Jane was getting to a point where she was just drunk and tired. She wasn't trashed or blacked out. She was just tired. And as we all know, being drunk can make you more tired. She was also in a higher altitude, which makes her think that that's another reason why she was so tired so early. So she admitted defeat and snuck upstairs Luckily, there was enough people around where no one would notice if she disappeared. So Jane shared a bedroom with her friend and her friend group, and they were kind of at the top of the house. So one of her host uncles, who was in his 30s, came up to her room to try to get her to come downstairs. At first, he just popped his head in and told her to come back downstairs. But she was drunk, so she would have thought she dreamt it, but she knew it wasn't a dream. This was all in Spanish, so she wasn't really sure if there was a language boundary, but she told him, it's okay, I want to stay here. He started tugging at her foot to get her to come downstairs, and she was just joking around, saying no. She thought this was just like a playful thing and didn't expect anything wrong to come from it. But then he came to the side of her bed, and he started shaking her shoulder to try to get her up, and she kept saying no. She was in this sleepy, drunken haze, and the next thing she knows, he's right up to her face, and he was quietly asking her to get up, and all she kept saying was no. Almost at once, she felt a tug on her jean belt loop and her jean button being undone, and simultaneously, he kissed her cheek. He only kissed her cheek because she turned it away from it becoming an actual kiss. Now, here's an important thing to note. John, in this case, was married with kids, and his whole family was there. She was so confused because she didn't feel like she's gotten any signals from him at all, nor has she given him signals indicating that that was something that she wanted. Suddenly, she sobered up, and she sat straight up in her bed and said, Stop. He realized what he was doing, and he backed up. And then she says, can you leave? I want to put my socks on. At least that's what Jane thinks she says. She's not really sure because at this point her mind is in such a whirlwind. And once again, it's in Spanish, which isn't her primary language, so she's kind of confused. Eventually, he apologized and left. So the rest of the trip, Jane kind of struggled with t whether or not she should tell her host mom. 
She texted her roommate slash friend and said, Something weird happened with John. I need to tell you about it tomorrow. So she told her friends, and they talked about what she should do. But eventually, Jane decided she didn't want to tell her host family because she was not telling just her host mom. She knew she was going to be telling her entire host family, and she didn't want to cause a family rift. His wife was cool. His kids were just 14 and 7, and she felt like this wasn't something worthy to destroy an entire family. And also, within Hispanic families, there's a sentiment of protecting your own, and she was really nervous that the rest of her trip would be messed up because of this one incident. She said if it had been worse, she would have told her program and her host's mom. And she believes her host mom would have believed her, but she didn't really want to test that out. She knew that she would have had to move families and it would have been uncomfortable for everyone. Especially considering that her friend slash roommate that night would still have had to stay with her host family who was a part of this entire family. The next morning on Sunday, he didn't look at Jane, talk to Jane, and eventually he approached her in a hallway. He apologized, claimed that he was really drunk, and that some of their friends had brought over some weed and that's why he was so messed up. He said the typical, that's not who I am. She eventually asked him why he did that and he appreciate and she and she appreciated the apology. He told her, "We don't have to talk or you don't have to forgive me, but hopefully eventually we can be friends." And she just said, "Maybe." For the rest of her trip, he basically just avoided her, which is good, but made her feel conflicted because she wasn't sure what made him want to do that to her in the first place. It's hard for her to accept that he's a bad person because he was a nice person when she initially met him, and she wasn't really sure if this was a thing that he did before. She certainly knows that the program didn't know about it if that was the case. So now Jane's just kind of debating whether she should have said something or not. It was months ago, but her biggest issue is she thinks she should have reported it just to make sure it couldn't happen again. So at this point in time, she's only been with her host family for two to three weeks at that point. So she didn't want to leave her friend in the dust, and she also didn't want to make such a big fuss just as her trip started. So... She decided to approach me for the podcast because she started thinking about this when she was applying for jobs for summer. So a lot of the jobs that she's applying for are research jobs. So she'd be in different housing situations, which kind of depend on the project. She realized she almost didn't apply for one because there was a slight possibility that she'd have to share a trailer with a male grad student. And she thought, I don't want to be sleeping in the same room as a male. But Jane reassessed and realized that she was only thinking this because of her issue with John. Now, she thinks she's really proud of herself. In the beginning of her trip, she wasn't able to speak Spanish perfectly, but regardless of the language barrier, she was able to stand up for herself. She was proud of how she dealt with it in the moment. All of her friends were supportive but she didn't tell all of them. She just told a few of them the explicit details, and she told the rest of them that 
something creepy happened. Similarly, one of her host friends had an issue with a host uncle as well being creepy, trying to pull her into rooms while talking to her, and she brought it up with the program. The program eventually talked to the host's family and the uncle was dealt with. Overall, Jane kind of feels bad for his wife. She was cool and she loved her. She really didn't want to ruin the marriage. She was only there for a little bit and what if they did something? But even worse, what if they didn't? She didn't want this one moment to ruin her study abroad experience. However, it did affect her going out, going to clubs, and long-term effects that she started to realize. A small part of her thinks, I'm grateful that nothing worse happens, but there's the guilt that worse things happen to other girls, but it was hard for her to validate her own feelings. She was thinking, it could be worse, so I don't really have a reason to feel upset. But she recognizes that she should have felt safe. This is a safe place. This was her home for the semester, and it was not her fault that something bad happened. Eventually, she decided to apply for the job where she might have to live with the male grad student anyways. For more information or questions about the podcast, the survey, or statistics given in the show, please email 4 out of 4 podcast at gmail.com. All fours being digits. If you or a loved one has been sexually assaulted or harassed and want help, please call 800-656-HOPE. 800-656-4673 for the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline. If you or a loved one is suicidal as a result of abuse, please call 1-800-273-8255 for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Please look into contacting experts around your area for any emotional, psychological, or physical trauma. The music is from freearchive.org and our theme is Kumiku's Un Désir. Finally, I'd like to thank the University of Nebraska-Lincoln College of Journalism for allowing me the resources needed to record, edit, and produce this podcast. Thank you to all the guests on the show who talk with me throughout the season. Candy, Crystal, Malio, Michael Skarn, Reginald, and most importantly, my co-host, Michael Hunt. You know who you are. Thank you to the respondents of my survey for trusting me with your stories and allowing me to tell them for this podcast. And thank you for listening. See you next time to talk about what I like to call Stranger Danger.